I'm Pete McCall, and welcome to episode 73 of All About Fitness. On today's episode, I talk about strength training and high-intensity interval training, but this time with a specific focus for women. My guest today is Irene Lewis-McCormick. Irene has become a good friend of mine because we both work for the same conference series, SCW, but more importantly, she is an educator. She's an adjunct faculty at Drake University in Iowa. She travels the world, another one of these people I know that travels around educating personal trainers. She's a master trainer for TRX, um, the people that make the TRX suspension trainer. She's the author of two books, The Hit Advantage, High Intensity Workouts for Women, and a Women's Guide to Muscle and Strength. So I wanted to bring her on today and talk about the advantages of high-intensity interval training for women and the advantages of strength training for women. If you're a female and wonder why you should be doing strength training or wonder if you're a little bit, you know, over the age of 40 and you're wondering, hey, is is high-intensity interval training really good for me? Well, I think you're going to have your questions answered in our conversation today. So after a brief word from the sponsor of All About Fitness, Irene Lewis-McCormick, author, educator, and fitness coach for Orange Theory Fitness. Vicor Fitness is the maker of the new TerraCore, which is a step, bench, balance trainer, and multifaceted exercise tool combined into one single platform. Go to vicorefitness.com to see the newest piece of equipment that will be taking the fitness industry by storm in 2017. Use the code AAF to save 20% on purchasing a TerraCore of your own. TerraCore by Vicor Fitness. Vicor Fitness. Better results from better products. I'm Pete McCall with All About Fitness. I'm here today talking with Miss Irene Lewis McCormick. Irene, can you give us a little bit of uh, background about what it is that you do and, and kind of the role you play in the fitness industry? Hi, Pete. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am adjunct faculty at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. I teach in the kinesiology department there. And I also present education for a few different companies, TRX. I'm a master course instructor. And Savier Fitness, I do Bar Above. I also present education for Power Systems. I've written two books for Human Kinetics Publishing, A Woman's Guide to Muscle and Strength, and The Hit Advantage for Women our specific topic area today. And I'm also a head coach at Orange Theory Fitness in Ames, Iowa. So it's interesting, you know, hit advantage. You're obviously a woman. I think we, you kind of established that. Um, what is, what do you think, what do you think the, the mistake is that most, that most women make? And I especially want to talk about uh, maybe women over the age of 35. What do you think a common mistake that women make when it comes to exercise or how they should be thinking differently about the exercise they may be doing? Well, I think especially women who maybe grew up in that aerobic dance fitness time, uh, mid-90s and even into like the mid-2000s, is that they adhered to the concept of fat burning as the most effective way to lose weight or to control their weight. And unfortunately, what we understand from a lot of the research conducted is you know, as far back as like 1994, 1995, 1996, it's really 
uh, manifesting itself in the fitness industry today in particular is that interval training really is superior to steady state training. And steady state training is that training where you get your heart rate up, you keep it at a certain level for a certain period of time, and then you bring it down and then your workout's over. There's nothing wrong with that type of training, but I think a lot of women who want to control their weight through exercise, cardiovascular exercise specifically, think that that is the way to do it. And really, they're missing a lot by not incorporating interval training. And, and the other thing is, I mean, you're a coach at Orange Theory, and, and how does well, how does Orange Theory organize its workouts? Because in the last couple of years, they've been one of the most popular fitness companies out there, one of the most popular studio concepts. And I think it's because they're helping their, their members get results. How does Orange Theory organize their workouts? And, and what's some of the methodology or the science behind that? Well, one of the things that Orange Theory is doing really, really well, and other organizations, I'm sure, probably are doing this and trying to do this, but Orange Theory Fitness in particular is really owning that heart rate-based interval training market. They have got a very successful formula. Regardless of whether you agree with the program design or not, as a fitness professional, you need to pay attention to this. So they have got people on heart rate monitors, and the program design is in such a way that you train based on not only perceptions, but also the colors on the screen. So you've got green, which is 71 to 83% of your heart rate it's a challenging but doable pace you have 84 percent to 91 percent is what we call the orange zone and that's where the magic happens and then 92 percent or greater of your of your max heart rate is red on the ot beat screen but the fact that i just mentioned the color red and the color orange and the color green that's how people learn where they should be with respect to their heart rate in a, as a training zone. And those colors are reflective of intensities. And that is what heart, uh, Orange Theory does is they use those colors and those zones to help people understand how hard to work and when to recover and what that feels like and what it looks like. And I, I think we get the concept. I think a lot of people understand that they enjoy the hard work of a, of a work interval of like if they're pushing really hard. And I think one of the things I've noticed in group exercise, being an instructor myself, is that a lot of people don't they, they feel like they're 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 going easy. If they take that recovery interval, then they feel like they're kind of cheating themselves. They're not working hard enough. So the first question I have this is going to be a two-parter. The first question I have is, can we work at a high intensity for a long period of time? And why is a recovery interval necessary? Or what is the benefit of a recovery interval? So, so true. You cannot work super hard for very long because duration and intensity are directly proportional to one another, right? So the harder the work is, and sometimes fitness professionals miss this. I mean, I see it when I'm in facilities and I'm, you know, observing classes and it'll be a high intensity interval training workout or a boot camp workout or some sort of, you know, hard workout. And the trainer or the instructor has the best intention, but they're holding people in really hard patterns for too long and they're not giving them enough recovery. And the recovery is um, the relationship between the, the work ratio. So I utilize this formula. And in my book, I published this. Three to one, two to one, and one to one. Those are the ratios that I encourage. And the work interval is the first number. So three minutes of, as an example, one minute of recovery. Two minutes of work with one minute of recovery would be an example of a two to one or one minute of work versus one minute of recovery. Now, three minutes of high intensity interval training is probably not a possibility because unless you exist outside the laws of physics, you're not going to be able to hang on to a super high intensity interval for longer than, I don't know, maybe 45 seconds a minute. I mean, something that gets you breathless, you're not going to be able to hang on to for more than that. So the recovery is really where the magic happens. And as you know, Pete, because you lecture on this as well, 
not only acute recovery, but chronic recovery. So in workout recovery and out of workout recovery. And those are two different things. So they're really important for people to understand. And, and it's not that you're, if you take recovery, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that you cannot take too much recovery. It can't be too long. If it's a true hit, there's a recovery ratio and it's real specific and you've got to honor that. And one, and that's that's a great thing. That's, and I want, we'll talk on the, the long term recovery in a couple of minutes. And one of the reasons why I, I really wanted to interview Irene is because a she's sharp, and b because she's a little bit. And I don't want to say um, an outlier because you're an industry veteran. But for listeners, I, I get my concern is as a fitness professional and educator, my concern is that in, in the fitness industry, you, when young we have younger instructors telling us what to do, younger instructors may not know or appreciate the kind of what we feel like when we're in our 40s, 50s, and above. So they may not know that, you know, sometimes when we move, we're a little sore for no particular reason, right? I mean, we just get a little bit older. So give us a little bit, you know, Irene, can you give us a little bit about your demographic, like your age? And and specifically what I want you to do is talk a little bit about the benefit of HIIT training and the benefit of strength training for women in kind of your particular demographic. So I'm 50, and that sometimes leads people to believe that perhaps maybe if they're making a judgment without considering it, I might not have the ability to just personally, just because of my own age and maybe their idea of a limitation, be able to bring it, so to speak, for them. But that could not be further from the truth. And with respect to younger trainers, they a lot of times focus their the training that they facilitate for other people based on their personal skill set. And that is good because they have amazing energy and amazing capacity for work, but they're also 23 years old. And they don't understand that they will eventually, if they're lucky, make it to 50 or 53. Um, and they also need to understand how to scale movement so that it works for a variety of populations. So I think it's an advantage for me as somebody a little bit older who's been in the industry for a while and I've been facilitating exercise experiences, in particular high-intensity interval training, is I get it. I know what it feels like if something is overwhelming for somebody and I know what it looks like. And sometimes, I'm not criticizing a younger trainer, but I'm just saying sometimes they miss that only because they don't have that experience. They'll get it, they just need to be exposed to it. So with respect to high intensity interval training and strength training in particular, um, there has to be a sharp eye on the appropriate option and how to get people to work hard. And some of the techniques that I use to help people learn how to do that is I teach them how to give kinesthetic cues. Those are super powerful to get people to understand what something looks like if it's right and what it feels like if it's right. So on a scale of one to 10, most people know a 10 is the hardest, highest level of 100% intensity, and a five is maybe 50% of your ability level. So helping people understand what it feels like to be at a seven, you know, it's a challenging but doable pace, something you could hang on to for 20 to 30 minutes, still talk to a friend. Something that's an eight or a nine is overwhelming, something you could hang on to for about 12 minutes or less and be breathy in your talking. And then overwhelming, breathless, all-out effort, you're not going to be able to hang on to it very long. That's a 10 or greater, depending on how you feel. And those cues, I think, are really helpful in getting people to understand how to work really hard, but also to honor their body. 
And that's, but that, and that's an important thing is, is being able to gauge, understand the gauge of intensity. Because I think we hear this, you got to work hard, you got to work hard. Well, what's hard? I mean, we need a definition of hard. And I think you just laid out a great, a great way to do that because a lot of instructors will use that 1 to 10 scale. And we don't always need to be at a 10. I think that's one of the most important takeaways they get from talking to any coach is, yes, there are periods we want people to work hard. But then there appears we need you to get your, your win back and get your recovery. And now, what is the benefit, um, Irene, for women over the age of 40, or for anybody over the age of 40, but you know, I'll go a little bit gender specific, um, what are the benefits of HIT training, since you wrote a book on it, for, for women over the age of 40? Should they be doing it? If, they're, if someone's in their 40s, late 40s, or 50s, A, should they be doing HIT, and B, what are some of the benefits? So that is a really good question, because when when we, when I facilitate a hit workout, I'm asking people to work really hard. I mean, like overwhelming. And I look at their faces, and they look at me like, "Why are you asking me to work this hard?" Well, from an in, in, inside view of the body, one, you can change your metabolic profile. Not as much as some people might say that you can, but there's research that lends itself to the fact that you can burn. 15 to 20% of your total caloric expenditure in workout, post-workout, up to somewhere between 24 and 36 hours. Now, that's what people say. I'm not sure I go for that 36-hour thing. Um, the higher the intensity of the training, the more calories you burn post-workout. And, of course, we know that's called EPOC, excess post-exercise oxygen consumption. And that's a huge benefit of high-intensity interval training. Well, let me ask you, pause right there, because I want to ask, so if I do a high-intensity workout, and we know the EPOC, I kind of, the way I describe EPOC, it's like you go for a long drive, your car is still cooling down. You, turn, you, know, you get to your destination, your car doesn't just go from being warm to being cold automatically. It takes a while for your car to cool down. And so EPOC, would you agree that EPOC is kind of that your body is spending energy to cool down? And does that mean that if I did really high intensity workout, I can go out and splurge by having a frappuccino and a muffin, you know, which could be about a thousand calories? I just, uh, you know, because EPOC is going to take care of it. Yeah, no, that is such a great concept that people don't understand. You you can't burn calories or eat ingest calories based on something that might happen or will happen. So planning your workouts around the fact that, oh, I'm going to go work out today because I know that I'm going to drink tonight or I'm going to go to a party tonight and have cake or whatever. That is a setup for failure when it comes to a weight management plan. So definitely never do that. But the caloric expenditure is really based on the fact that in workout, you come into a workout and your body's pretty much in homeostasis. And then during a workout, especially if it's super high intensity, you create what we call in the body allostasis, which is a complete disruption of homeostasis. It's the exact opposite. So what your body has to do post-workout is figure out how am I going to get back into homeostasis? And the caloric expenditure to do that is pretty significant. That's where we get that 15 to 20% number. And that's what's happening is you're putting all those enzymes and all that blood flow and all the oxygen that was used, all that has to be replaced. It's kind of like, you know, cooking with a bunch of food that's in your kitchen and then you go back to make something else and you don't have anything in your cupboards. Well, you've got to restock, so you have to go to the grocery store. So it's a little bit like that with respect to putting all those enzymes and all that those energy stores back together and that takes calories and that's the caloric expenditure. And that's, that's a great, I hadn't thought about that way before because that's in essence what you're doing. If you're exercising, you're depleting energy stores in your muscles, just like when you're cooking, you're depleting the food in your kitchen. So at some point after exercise, you need to replace the energy in your muscles 
but you don't want to replace it with, uh, well, for lack of a better word, crap. <laughs> you, know, you know, if you have a Porsche, you're not going to put the cheapest gas in your high-performance automobile. So if your goal is to be a high-performance person, human being, you should really be having high-performance fuel, correct? Absolutely. And you know what? To go back to the high-intensity interval training and why I'm asking people to do that, because it's really hard, and they wonder, what, what are you making me do this for? So not only the metabolic changes that we talked about and that epoch, but also you change your cardiovascular system. You remove plaque on the inside of the artery wall. It tends to be um, lower levels of that with respect to high, high um, HDLs and LDLs. Yeah, that's, that gets into, you know, she's talking about, you know, high-density lipoprotein. You know, high-density lipoprotein is a good cholesterol. Low-density lipoprotein is a bad cholesterol. And it really is, I mean, because I think people don't think about that. They think of exercise, right? They think of, I'm just exercising. But there's such a significant benefit from that. And so what I hear you saying, Irene, just kind of sum it up a little bit, is high-intensity exercise keep elevates your circulation so you don't get accumulation of plaque in the heart. Would that be correct? Oh, definitely. And the arterial wall, too. And also, probably my most favorite reason for high-intensity interval training in particular is your insulin sensitivity. You and, well, real quick, what is, what is insulin and why is insulin sensitivity a big deal? So insulin is secreted by the pancreas and it's in response to glucose. So when people develop um, prerequisites for type 2 diabetes or they become pre-diabetic because of inactivity or lifestyle factors, their ability to utilize insulin to get glucose into cells, muscle cells in particular, is really compromised. So they have tens, they tend to have blood sugar that floats around their body that they're not utilizing. So when the muscles are stimulated, in specifically during high-intensity interval training, they um, the insulin receptors are more open to taking in glucose because of the insulin that's present and you make yourself more sensitive to that in high intensity interval training in particular and that is a huge benefit because metabolic diseases like that are a real problem in our country especially for women and, and that becomes you know and that again it comes back to the point but i want to talk about recovery real quick and, and go into strength training because post-exercise post high intensity interval training you know i made the crack a little bit earlier about not having a frappuccino and a muffin you know that that's basically sugar and just you know garbage coming in our body is it necessary to have some type of snack within a relatively short period of time after a high intensity after a high intensity workout and why would we have a, why would we have a snack well um, according to the NSCA, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, uh, their position stand is that you have a window of opportunity about 30 minutes post-workout. That's when your muscles are most sensitive to um, glucose, and that's where insulin really plays a role. So you have about a 30-minute window to get a carbohydrate into your body, and ideally you want kind of a carbohydrate-protein mix, and that's why the chocolate milk can be so helpful. There's some research based on that that's pretty landmark. And then your next window of opportunity to recover and set yourself up for the next workout with respect to nutrition is two to three hours post-workout. And that's going to be more influential in a strength workout, the actual two-hour, two to three-hour window, two to three hours post-workout. And, and I think that's, you know, people don't realize that when you are exercising at a high intensity, you're depleting, you know, the carbohydrate or the glycogen available in your muscle. So you need some type of clean, and that's where like a snack, a better snack might be you know, um, whole wheat bread with peanut butter it might be, you know, fruit and, you know, and some type of protein drinks. You get that mix of it. Would that be, I mean, what type of, I mean, and I have chocolate milk. You mentioned there's been a lot of evidence. So some people may not be able to, to tolerate milk and 
for weight loss, chocolate milk is a lot of calories. But if the goal is strength training, then would chocolate milk be appropriate? If my goal is I'm doing workouts because I don't really care about weight loss, but I want to get strong, would chocolate milk be an effective recovery? Um, She's pausing. To yeah. be honest, I, I'm you know the research has demonstrated that for putting glucose back into the muscle cells, that that's you know that's what they studied. So to be honest with you, depending on what you can tolerate, I'm not quite sure what's exactly correct for everyone. But it, it certainly does work according to the research. And see, that was my little trick question for Irene. That was my trick question for Irene because I like asking a little question like that because good, good fitness people always give you that pause because you cannot give a definitive answer for everybody. You know, and so she knows enough that, and, and so I'm sorry about that. I try to try to trick you up a little bit on that, but that's my test. That's my test for everybody because you know, if you're listening, if you're listening to, if you talk to a fitness person and they say this is the way you have to do it, that's bogus. You know, there is no definitive answer. I cannot tell you. Irene can't tell you. No expert that I have on this podcast can tell you exactly what's going to work for you. We can say we guess or we think or evidence shows. So you fell right into my trap with that. Now, the next question, the next question I have for you is strength training. Why should women, any woman, you know, let alone women, you know, in your demographic, why should women be strength training? What are the benefits of lifting weights? Okay, so a lot of women in particular, especially those in my age group, um, it's hard to acknowledge the fact that we're aging. It's, it is. It's hard. You turn 50 and suddenly you think, oh my gosh, I'm 50. But the fact is that you are aging. And everybody who is aging is going to experience a, a little bit of atrophy if they're not you know, strength training or doing something to um, compensate for that. And uh, eventually... Um, and real quick, atrophy is... is uh, muscles could be getting smaller. You're losing muscle size. And so that is, if you're not using the muscles, you lose, you know, you're not, if you're not using the muscles, you lose muscle size. In addition to atrophy, one of the problems with aging in particular, and this doesn't happen necessarily at age 50, but eventually you might even start experiencing sarcopenia, which is a wasting away of the muscle cells. So strength training, specifically resistance training, weights that are heavy enough or some sort of load heavy enough to create a fatigue response acutely is super important. So cardiovascular exercise is fabulous for the heart. But it's not going to do a lot to change the muscle mass in your arms, shoulders, back. And that's super critical, not only for health and maintenance of lean mass, keeping in mind that lean mass is everything except for fat, everything in your body, um, but also for protection of the spine. And that is probably one of the most important things that we need to protect. We talk about the core all the time, but really what we're talking about is the spine and all the muscles that stabilize the back. So as we age in particular, protecting the spine and maintaining lean mass is super important because it also decreases the risk for certain diseases, specifically metabolic diseases. So, because I think there's, you know, the reason why I asked that and the reason why one of the main reasons I wanted to interview you, Irene, um, is the fact that I think a lot of women, once they get to a certain age, or a lot of women in general, but maybe once they get a little bit older, they feel that weight training or strength training might be dangerous. And, and you're, from the sound, from what you're explaining, it seems like there's a number of benefits. Should, if, if a woman wants to start a strength training program, what would be an effective way for her to do that? I mean, what would be a good way if, if you know, if I want to coach up, you know, a client, you know, if I'm coaching a client, I'll give them a strength program. But if you're, if I want to help somebody, you know, in her fifties or early sixties, start a strength program, what's the way to start doing that? Is there a good resource or what should they be looking at? Well, you know, I would have to find out a little bit about their goals 
and about their exercise history and if they had any limitations or orthopedic concerns because it may be more appropriate to start certain individuals on open chain exercises, which is like machines in the weight room. It may be more appropriate, depending on their exercise history, to start them with closed chain exercises. So body weight exercises, dumbbells, equipment they can hold and stabilize their own body, or a combination of both. And I would, for variety's sake, if they have access to both, I would use both. And I think that um, strength training is very safe if done well, if biomechanics are considered and they're working with a qualified professional or have some sort of experience. There's really no reason to believe that any injury res will result from training like that. In fact, if anything, it's probably even safer than cardiovascular impact conditioning. And, and the one thing I've heard from women over the years, and, and I really hate saying that because it sounds like such a generality, it sounds like such a misogynistic statement, And but the one thing I've heard is that women are afraid of getting big muscles. Does a woman have, if a woman adds two days a week of strength training, maybe she goes to a strength class, maybe, maybe she goes to Orange Theory to do strength training, does a woman have to worry about if she starts doing two or three days a week of strength training, all of a sudden she's going to blow up like an Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> well, um, you know, it's so funny because it's very genetically determined, and that's something that a lot of people don't really consider, and they really, really need to consider. What is your genetic makeup? Muscle fibers respond to strength training based on your predominance of fast-twitch versus slow-twitch fiber, and fast-twitch fiber is that fiber that um, it gets bigger faster, and you can't really know if you're fast or slow twitch unless you actually have a muscle biopsy. But you can visually observe. I mean, if you get people that strength train and they get a little bit bigger, a little bit quicker, or they get a little more what, what a lot of women refer to as tone and what I would refer to as maybe definition or hypertrophy faster, they probably are more predominantly fast twitch fiber. But that doesn't mean that somebody is, that's more predominantly slow twitch fiber is not going to be successful. They just may not see the size increase, but there should not be a fear in any capacity that their women will get to a point where they're large or masculine looking or unfeminine at all. In fact, strong is the new sexy, and that is definitely what women should be focusing on. In fact, testosterone levels required to create that super masculine appearance. Most women need somewhere, healthy levels of testosterone is about 75 to 125 milligrams per deciliter. Many women, especially as they reach menopause, fall as low as 10. And that's problematic. That's why hormone replacement therapy is so popular right now. Not covered by the medical community, but super important and probably will be at some point in time in the future because we're realizing how important hormones are. But to have that much testosterone in your body, you must be getting it exogenously if you're going to respond to a strength program that way. And, and just, I mean, I, I had to look this up one time when I heard somebody use ex, you know, exogenous um, hormones, that just means you're taking supplemental hormones. Um, you know, and women just don't produce enough testosterone to really make that much of a difference. But do women, does growth hormone have an effect? Because, you know, I, I've read the research and what I've read about it is, you know, strength training or high intensity training, uh, Irene, does help produce more of a growth hormone uh, response. Do you think there would be a benefit for of elevated hor growth hormone, GH levels from strength training? And, and what are some of the benefits of GH? Well, a lot of people will be willing to spend a lot of money to take GH because it's proven very effective. I don't know all the data on growth hormone in particular, but what I have seen is pretty promising, to be honest, in my opinion. Um, it is a hormone that is responsible for helping maintain lean mass, and there's some other benefits to it. 
it'll, you know, it, it helps, but it helps metabolize fat. It helps maintain lean mass. And, and cause the reason why I say that a lot of, a lot of anti-aging clinics will promote growth hormone. And, and from what I've read, a few different studies I've read that when women do strength training or high intensity training, they get a much bigger GH growth hormone response because they don't I mean testosterone where the name comes from. Testosterone is produced in the testes and most women don't have testes, do they? No, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to throw that, didn't mean to throw that curveball at you, but, but in all honesty, I mean, but women will produce, will, I mean, from what I've read, women will produce more growth hormone and could that help them in terms of an effort to look younger? I, I believe so. Um, I think that, and it is really specific by the way, to strength training. You're not going to get a GH response in the body unless you stimulate based on strength training. That's really important to understand. It's not a cardiovascular benefit. Yeah, and what I've, you know, everything I've seen is, is related to, like, uh, it, uh, GH is produced as a response to elevated lactate levels. And we get, you know, lactate and, and hydrogen ions. So when you go to that soreness and you go to that slight fatigue, that's when you can get the GH response. Now, last thing I ask before we get into a quick conversation about recovery is um, BDNF. How familiar are you with uh, BDNF? Yeah, okay. I'll take, a, I'll take a pause here. I'll cut that out. What's that? Uh, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Oh, um, would have only known that if you said it, the whole thing, and I don't know anything about it. Okay, cool. What? Well, no, I didn't know because there's a tie-in between brain. GH and BDM. So I didn't know if you. Sorry, I didn't. Brain. No, it's okay. Brain-derived brain neurotrophic, neurotrophic factor. factor. It's neurotransmitters that like create new brain cells, basically. Oh yeah, that's a Melissa thing. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's from Spark with John Rady. So, let me, so to wrap it up, Irene, what I want to ask you a little bit about is recovery. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, you know, short-term recovery is recovery like after you do a specific exercise or a specific high-intensity bout. But what is, what is longer-term recovery and what are some strategies that people can use to help recover from, from a hard workout? Well, time is absolutely one of them. And it's, I mean, it seems like so obvious. Oh, time, of course. But it's unbelievable to me how many people, women in particular, will experience or take themselves through a super high-intensity workout, let's say on a Monday at 5.30. They'll come back the very next morning at 6 a.m. and do a very similar workout. There's 24 hours is the recommended recovery, um, minimally between high-intensity interval training. Your body needs at least that amount of time. And I have to explain to them that the higher the intensity of the work is, the more recovery you need. Soreness is not a reflection of a super great trainer. That is a reflection of perhaps new exercises or new loads. Um, and ideally, you want to adapt. So being chronically sore is not an indicator of success. In my opinion, that is an indicator of you probably need more recovery. It's not not okay to exercise when you're sore. You can exercise when you're sore, but not so sore that you can't move. So you want to balance that out as well. Making sure you have time and then hydration is of critical importance. It's largely ignored, but it's really, really important. Drinking water before, during, and after workouts and making sure that you drink water first thing in the morning and before you go to bed at night. I mean, there's all types of strategies you can use. Um, food and nutrition is used as a recovery, and we gave the examples of the food, you know, the feeding between up to 30 minutes post-workout, and then again, that other two to three hour window, about two hours post-workout, that's specifically effective for strength training in particular, if you're trying to build mass and increase your lean mass, which is the whole point of strength training. 
And wrote, now, how about stuff like, because this is where I'm always interested in, you know, the new trends, you know, stuff like foam rolling. Is that, you know, you see people rolling around the floor in a gym on a piece of foam. Is that really, I mean, yeah, I know there's some benefit to that, but is that, can that be a key component of recovery? I feel like it is because it allows people to um, get in touch with their soft tissues, uh, specifically muscles and tendons and perhaps maybe some ligaments, but hopefully you're not rolling over a joint. And also there's some research or some anecdotal research anyway that indicates you can flush the system, you can move fluids um, that are in muscles, cells that are close to the skin, through the body. You can, you can help you know, with that recovery effort. It also facilitates for flexibility, which is a super important part of your training. Dynamic stretches, static stretches, PNF stretches, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, autogenic inhibition, um, all those techniques that will help create more range of motion, which can decrease your risk of injury. If you have the ability to move through a range of motion, you're probably going to decrease your risk of injury. And that type of training is best done in a recovery mode. And that's important for people to hear is I do think that people will try to do too much. They get this, I need to do, the idea is more is better. And, and for people that are over the age of 40, would you recommend, I mean, what's, what number of HIIT workouts or high-intensity workouts? Because it's like anything else. A little bit is good, but too much is, is counterproductive. Is there like an optimal number that you would recommend of, of high-intensity workouts per week? Well, I think you need to find your sweet spot. For me personally, I know that I need, because I love HIIT workouts, obviously, I do them, and I enjoy them, and they work for me, and they make me feel fabulous, and they are super effective. And I'll add that you look fabulous, oh, so I'll throw it in there. How nice of you. Thank you. Um, I usually do one HIIT workout, and then I take 24 hours off. Or I might be able to do two HIIT workouts in a row with 24 hours in between, but then I need a day off. And I don't mean off, I just mean not doing that type of training. Or it may be a day off. You know, you can do recovery that it doesn't include any exercise. It's not a bad thing. Don't think that you're doing something wrong or you're being lazy or you're not bringing it because you're not working out every single day. Um, so two, three to four times a week is probably the maximal that I would recommend for a high-intensity interval workout. But making sure you've got range of motion, flexibility, strength training, other modalities, maybe for your cardio, you're doing cycling as well as body weight training or treadmill running or elliptical training or outdoor jogging or walking or whatever. Lots of variety is going to decrease the burnout factor and also decrease your risk of injury from overuse. Now, so you have this, you have two books out, correct? What are, what are the titles of your books? So I have two books by Human Kinetics Publishing. One is called A Woman's Guide to Muscle and Strength, and the other one is called The Hit Advantage for Women, and that is actually published in two languages. It's in Spanish and in English. See, so that, but thank you. Know, I really appreciate this, Irene, because, you know, it's one thing I can obviously look at the stuff and, and I, I give out advice. I, I write a lot about, about the benefits of strength training and you extrapolate that to women, but, but not being a woman, it always helps to have uh, input from that. So I really thank you for your time and I really appreciate what you're doing in our business. Thank you so much, Pete. It's an honor. Well, first thing about that conversation was I looked back at, at my schedule and, and looked at some of the interviews I had, and I realized I hadn't had a female on in a little while. So when I was at a conference with Irene a little bit ago, I grabbed her and said, hey, let's have a conversation. I want to throw you up on the podcast. She, hadn't done a, she hasn't done a podcast interview before, so that's her first time. I, we were recording it. I was, instead of, you know, a lot of times when I, re, when I record people for the podcast, 
I'm speaking via Skype, so I'm recording directly onto my computer. But I was using a digital recorder there, and we were in a you know we were in a conference room in a in a hotel. So there may be a little bit uh, different background noise than usual. So I wanted to kind of give you a ex- little explanation there. But I really I wanted to have her on because my target audience for this podcast is a fitness enthusiast over the age of 35. And Irene is, is, a, is a personal trainer, a, a fitness instructor, a coach, someone who's been doing this a long time. I mean, she just turned 50 this past year, as we talked about. And I think it's important that you hear the message, not just from younger people, from, from people who have a little more experience as well, a little more real life experience. She has, you know, a kid in high school and a kid in college. You know, she, she works, you know, full time. She manages to stay fit. And the important thing is here, she also focuses on strength training and high intensity interval training. But, you know, and I don't mean any, you know, insult to this, Irene, if you're listening, uh, she's not a she-hulk, meaning that when you see some of the women out there that are promoting strength training, you know, they're pretty lean and, and there, but they're also, you know, have pretty muscular frames. Then I know a lot of women don't really want that, want that appearance. You know, and I really, I'm always, it's always awkward saying this, you know, generalizing women want this one. That's not, the point is that some women will eschew or stay away from strength training because they fear that it's going to help them be, it's going to make them quote unquote bulky, especially women in, in Irene and mine demographic. You know, the younger women seem to be gravitating more and seem to be much more comfortable with strength training, but women over 40 or 45 years old, I don't see them picking up as much weight. That's starting to change a little bit. I, I do have to admit, I'm starting to change. You know, some of the people I see in a couple of fitness classes I teach are definitely becoming more comfortable with the concept of strength training can help increase lean mass. Strength training can also be helpful at burning fat. You know, you heard us talk about some of the physiology of that. You know, and I wanted to have Irene on because Irene does high intensity interval training. She does strength training. She's a coach in that area. She's an educator in that area. But she still is a relatively, you know, she's a reg, you know, regular average, you know, person, you know, meaning that she's not, she's not waddling around like a competitive bodybuilder or powerlifter. Um, so I just, I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but I just wanted to, you know, wanted you guys to be aware that she is a, you know, a, a person that, you know, makes strength training a priority, but doesn't live for only strength training because you can lift weights without getting big. That's very, very, very doable. You know, you can add two or three days a week of, of strength training. You can add a couple days a week of high-intensity interval training. But as we mentioned, that shouldn't be all you're doing. You should, you know, have a whole wide, you know, a well-rounded, you know, approach to fitness and doing a little bit of everything. Now, if you like, if you like Irene's message or if, you're, if you want to know about the benefits of strength training for women or high-intensity interval workouts for women, her book links, as I mentioned uh, during the show, the links to her books will be below in the show notes. And I recommend checking them out. Irene also has a couple of videos up on YouTube where she talks about her books and she shares the information from there. So if you're looking for more information, definitely check it out there. And if you want, I'm also going to have a, um, I'm also going to have a link down to the conference series that we work for. We work for SCW, which is Sarah Cooperman. Sarah Cooperman's a woman out of Chicago. We do a series of eight or nine conferences around the country and we'll both be doing it over the course of 2018. So if you like Irene's message, even if you're not a fitness professional, if you want to learn, if you're a fitness enthusiast, you want to learn more about fitness, I'd recommend attending a fitness conference. It's open to anybody. These conferences exist to give fitness professionals like myself and Irene and some of the other guests I have. If we're certified, we need to maintain our certifications through continuing education credits. The conferences can be the best way to do that. But these conferences are also open to you as a consumer. 
So I have a web, I'll have a link below to that. So if you want to come listen to me, another guest I have on here frequently, Fabio Camano is a speaker at these events. You know, some of the other guests I've had, Nick Tumanello speaks there. You know, so there are a number of people on there. You know, Irene will be at these conferences. You can take these workshops and learn more about fitness so you can become your own fitness coach. Nothing wrong with that. There's definitely a lot to learn if you attend one of these conferences, just like there's a lot to learn from listening to these podcasts. So with that, thanks for tuning in. If you have any questions about exercise and fitness that you'd like to ask on an upcoming episode of a quick fit tip, please do that. You can email me directly, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. So send me your exercise-related question, and I may answer it on an upcoming quick fit tip. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's PeteMC underscore fitness. That's PeteMC underscore fitness on Twitter. And on Instagram, I'm Pete McCall underscore fitness on Instagram. Pete McCall underscore fitness. So thanks for tuning in. Hopefully I have you stop by for future episodes of All About Fitness. Have a healthy and happy day. 